We're going to be blessed today. Seth is going to share with us. So Seth, come on. I just want to pray a prayer over you as you're coming up here. Okay. Jesus, would you bless Seth? Your servant who loves you, who loves your words. Father, would you speak through him? Encourage our hearts. Would we be drawn closer to you? May you do what only you can do in this room. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you and invite you in with open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, believers. Ooh, I like that. Don't usually get a response from the first service crew. Come on, you know who you guys are. Oh, it's so good to be with you this morning and worship the Lord together. If you have been with us for the past few months, you know that we are exploring what it means to live the lifestyle of Jesus. We've talked about the fact that if we want to have Jesus' life, the abundant with God life that he promised us, we need to adopt Jesus' lifestyle, to live his lifestyle. And the way we've summarized what that means practically is ordering daily life around practice of the spiritual disciplines and the Holy Spirit's power. And so we are exploring together how to practice the spiritual disciplines of Jesus. And we've started with prayer. And Guile spent some time early on in this series just unpacking how extensively we see in the gospel accounts Jesus praying and talking about constantly the importance of prayer. And so that's where we're going to start. And we're using this acronym that we got from Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, P-R-A-Y, to summarize the essence of what it looks like to pray in the way that Jesus prayed. And really, this acronym is a summary of the movements of prayer that Jesus taught about in his teaching on prayer in Matthew 6, the, the model prayer that we typically call the Lord's Prayer. And so we talked for the last few weeks, we, we took, we've taken a few intermissions to do, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter and have some other conversations, but for the last few months we've been talking about this first one, pausing, that Jesus told us first that when we pray, we're to find a way to get alone and quiet and just be still in the presence of the one who's our Father who knows what we need. Because prayer, true prayer in the way of Jesus, starts relationally and in a posture of dependence. So we've talked a lot about that, and I hope that you all have caught a vision for the fact that stillness and silence in prayer is not just for introverted contemplative types. It's for all of us. We all need it. And so now, with that as our foundation, we're going to move on to the next one. Rejoice. We are going to talk about the place of rejoicing in prayer. Jesus said that when we pray, we should start this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's as far as we're going to go into the Lord's Prayer for the moment. We're just going to start there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because Jesus is saying something, many things so important, and we barely have time to scratch the surface this morning. But the essence of what Jesus is saying with these words is that true prayer starts with recognizing who God is and then adoring and worshiping and honoring him because of who he is. 
Pete Gregg in his book says that this is the most important and also the most enjoyable dimension of a life of prayer. And rejoicing in the scriptures, rejoicing is the word that we're using to summarize this movement of prayer. And rejoicing is a very, very important concept in the scriptures. It's related to the broader discipline of worship. It's also related to the very simple practice of thanksgiving, of just saying thank you to God. But at its core, rejoicing is about recognizing and responding to the grace of God. Rejoicing is about recognizing and responding to the grace of God. If you were here during our Advent series, you might remember that we talked about the fact that in the New Testament, the words that are translated grace, joy, and rejoicing all have the same etymological root in the Greek language. They're all just variations of the same word. And we summarized the idea that that this communicates to us by saying that grace is the smile of God upon us. That joy is the recognition of that smile, and that rejoicing is simply smiling back. Grace is the favor, the goodness of God as it is expressed and experienceable by us. Joy, real joy, Christian joy, as the Bible talks about it, is recognizing who God is toward us and for us. And so rejoicing is this natural response to that experience of joy, of smiling back to him, and then maybe actually putting that smile into words and acts that give it tangible expression. Rejoicing is a way of life that is normative for those who have encountered the grace and mercy of Jesus. So, with that, the Scriptures talk regularly about rejoicing being a vital thing that we do and a vital element of prayer. And this is especially clear, the connection between prayer and rejoicing, when we look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul said in his letters. In Romans 12, he said, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, he adds more weight to this, saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If any of you are wondering what God's will is for you, I want to challenge you to spend some time meditating on those words and take them very seriously. That is God's will for you. And then he adds more emphasis in Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So rejoicing is a vital element of prayer. And nowhere is this connection between prayer and rejoicing more evident than in the book of Psalms. And so these next few weeks, what we're actually going to explore together is the discipline, the practice of praying the Psalms. The Psalms are actually God's gift to us to teach us how to pray. The Psalms are not actually meant to be read so much as they are intended to be prayed and sung. The Psalms are literally the prayer handbook of God's people. The interesting thing, though, about this prayer handbook is that it's actually titled Praises. The Hebrew name for the book of Psalms is Sefer Tehillim. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it means book of praises. And the word that we use, psalms, comes from the Greek psalmoi, which means songs, specifically songs of praise. 
So God has given us a prayer handbook to teach us how to pray, but it's called Book of Praises because you can't separate prayer from praise. Now, if you've ever read the Psalms, you might be thinking, well, I don't know, because I've read the Psalms, and they're pretty earthy and gritty, and there's a lot of grieving and lamenting and even venting, and like, it's raw stuff. Would we really say that praises is the best way to summarize this book? And Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Translation, comments on this seeming contradiction in his wonderful book on the Psalms, Answering God. He says, this title, Praises, catches our attention because it is inaccurate. Most Psalms are complaints. They're calls of help by helpless and hurting men and women. They're wrung out of desperate conditions. And yet, Praises as a title is not statistically accurate, but it is accurate all the same. It is accurate because it accurately describes the end, the finished product. All prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. Praises, in fact, is the only accurate title for our prayer book, for it is the goal that shapes the journey. Praise is the goal that shapes the the journey of prayer. What Eugene Peterson is saying is that a life of prayer is intended to be a life of praise. And if that is true, then only intentionally cultivating a life of praise can sustain a life of prayer. What's so interesting to me about the Psalms, something that I never thought of early on in my walk with the Lord, and some of you may never have thought of, is this, that praying the Psalms is how Jesus learned to live a life of prayer and praise. God has made available to you and to me the very same means to learn how to live a life of prayer and praise that he made available to his son when he walked the earth. The book of Psalms with the gift of the indwelling spirit to teach us how to live a life of prayer and praise. Eugene Peterson also said this. He said, if we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity and to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift to us to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. If we are willfully ignorant of the Psalms, we are not thereby excluded from praying, but we will have to hack our way through formidable country by trial and error and with inferior tools. If we dismiss the Psalms, preferring a more up-to-date and less demanding school of prayer, we will not be without grace, but we will miss the center where Christ worked in his praying. Christ prayed the Psalms, and the Christian community was early convinced that he continues praying them through us as we pray them. If we neglect the practice of praying the Psalms, God will still hear our prayers, and he'll still meet us in prayer and answer our prayers, but we'll miss the center where Jesus worked in his praying, where he learned how to pray. We'll miss an opportunity to really, truly, deeply learn how to pray with and like Jesus. But how, how do we know 
that Jesus prayed the Psalms. We're talking about this as living the lifestyle of Jesus, doing the things Jesus did. How do we know that Jesus learned to pray by praying the Psalms? I think we can see this really clearly when we think about two things. First of all, everything we read about Jesus in the New Testament confirms that he spent his life growing up devoted to the rituals and practices of personal and corporate prayer and worship that were normative in his first century Jewish culture. That was an act of obedience for him. And so we can know that this, this was super normal in his culture. In fact, Every young man in Jesus' time, every Jewish young man in Jesus' time would have been expected to have the, the entire book of Psalms memorized by heart by the time they were a, a young adult like Jesus was. Memorized. And not just memorized to get points in Torah Blast, and Bible Blast is awesome, that was a terrible joke, but memorized because it was the fabric of his life of prayer and worship. And we can verify this assumption that Jesus learned to pray this way because we can see countless examples in the Gospels of Jesus quoting the Psalms. In his teachings, in prayer, and even just in conversation, the image, the imagery and language of the Psalms had become the fabric of his way of thinking and communicating about God and about himself and about life. The Psalms had shaped him. These are just some examples of times when he quoted them so that we can see, okay, the, the frequency and the fluency of his use of psalms shows us that this was his practice. He owned the psalms, and the psalms possessed him. Does that make sense? And this practice of praying the psalms, we can see very clearly, was carried on by the New Testament church. The apostle Paul exhorted the Colossian Christians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And he says almost the exact same thing in Ephesians 5. Notice he gives a prominent place to the practice of singing the psalms together as something that is intended to shape us and to empower us for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. The early church prayed the psalms and the testimony of the psalm-praying church throughout the last 2,000 plus years of history is staggering. Across every denomination, tradition, and expression of church, God's people have always prayed the psalms. And they tell us with one voice that praying the psalms is how we learn to pray and to praise. It's not the only way, but it is the main way that God intends for us to learn how to pray and to praise the way He wants us to pray, the way He wants us to praise. And to that end, I, I, I want to share with you two short quotes that I have found surprising and inspiring about the significance of the Psalms. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite spiritual writers, said this, Still today, the Old Testament book of Psalms gives great power for faith and life. Power. They're actually a source of power for us. And then he says, if you bury yourself in Psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding life. Raise your hand if you want to know God and understand life. About half of you. That's good. That's a pretty good start. We'll work on the rest of you. I know. Some of you just don't want to raise your hand. I get it. 
Do you want to know God and understand life? Notice he didn't say if you read the Psalms and observe the information that they present, you will know God and understand life. No, he says you have to bury yourself in Psalms. Immerse yourself in a day in, day out, morning and evening, coming back over and over again when you're excited about it and when you really don't feel like it. Immerse yourself in the practice of praying and singing the Psalms. And he says that if we do that, we will be surprised that the deepest longings of our hearts come true in the process as Jesus prays the Psalms with us and through us. We can't neglect this, guys. Another one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century, the German theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, whenever the Psalter is abandoned, an incomprehensible treasure vanishes from the Christian church with its recovery will come unsuspected power. I wonder what kind of unsuspected power might be waiting for us as we learn to recover the practice of praying and praising with the Psalms. You realize he's saying, if we want to see a renewal of God's power in our midst, in our personal lives and in our church, we need to pray the Psalms. Is that surprising to anybody else? That's not what I would expect. I would think he would say, if you want to experience more of God's power, you need to get down on your knees and ask for more of God's power. And there's a place for that. And I do that. But he's saying there is power waiting for us, untapped power, if we will recover the practice of entering the school of prayer where Jesus learned to pray. And, and for the record, he wrote that on the eve of a man named Adolf Hitler taking over Europe. He wrote that in a time when God's people needed power. Needed to know that God was on their side, working mightily in their midst. And so he started an underground seminary training pastors who would not let themselves be pressured by the power of the culture of the Third Reich. And what do you think he taught them to do? He taught them to pray the Psalms, to meditate on the Psalms. The core of their practice was immersing themselves in the Psalms. And God manifested his presence in their midst in a way that they proved to be unshakable in the midst of Nazi Germany. We need to consider that. So if this is all true, what is so powerful about praying the Psalms? They're just written prayers in a book. What is so powerful about reading these prayers out loud and singing them together and on our own? The different guys I've quoted have written books about it, about why it's so powerful, and they have some really extraordinary thoughts but I'm not going to try to give you a comprehensive, satisfactory answer for what it is about the Psalms that's so powerful. But what I would like to do this morning is just share personally a little bit from my experience of praying the Psalms, of how I have experienced them as means of the power of God in my life. Because there's a few observations that I've made when I 
am faithful to this practice of praying the Psalms regularly that they do for me that I think are not unique. And so I'd like to share them with you because these observations motivate me to pray the Psalms, and I'm hopeful that maybe they'll inspire and motivate you to pray the Psalms or to experiment with it a little bit. I've been experimenting with praying the Psalms for the last couple of years, on and off, um, and I felt like the Lord started leading me back into it a few months ago before I even knew I was going to be talking about this. Um, and so there's a few things that I have noticed happen in my life when I'm praying the Psalms. And, and I would summarize it with this statement. When we pray the Psalms, God comes down to us and we are lifted to God. When we pray the Psalms, God comes down to us and we are lifted to God. And for the theologians in the room, I just want to pause for a moment and say, I'm using that phrase metaphorically, not literally. God's already come down to us in the incarnation of Jesus and by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we've already been lifted to God by our participation in the ascension of Christ, and we're seated with Him in heavenly places. So that's already happened. Now, all the deep thinkers like me in the room can just breathe out, sigh. This isn't heresy. And I want to talk metaphorically about what experientially happens to us when we pray the Psalms. First, when we pray the Psalms, God comes down to us. And what I mean by that is that the words of the Psalms come down into my everyday life experience, and they give me words and imagery and language to understand, process, and pray what I'm actually feeling and experiencing. In our culture, we probably think that that that's weird, that we wouldn't need help to do that, but we need help to do that. How many of you find yourselves not praying because you don't know what to pray or you don't understand what you're even feeling? This amazing thing happens, though, where every human experience has been distilled into the language of the Psalms so that when we're praying the Psalms, we go, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And then we're given language and imagery to say it even more honestly than we thought we could say it to God. That's a miracle. It is a part of the miracle of the incarnation. Just like the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and experienced everything we experienced, the words of God have become flesh in the book of Psalms. And they become flesh as I read them and say them and find that God meets me in my stuff and gives me language to express exactly what's true of me at the moment. That's a miracle of God's grace. And it is the beginning of joy in prayer because even before I find my way through what I'm experiencing, I know that God's with me in it and he's permissioning me to experience it exactly as it is. I don't have to pretty it up and I can pray it to him in all of its ugliness and its beauty. And that is a gift of how God meets us and comes down to us when we pray the Psalms. And it's when that happens that I begin to understand the words of one of my favorite songs by Loud Harp. You're the joy in the middle of my pain. Not just at the end when it's over, but right in the middle of it when I'm figuring out what to do with it. God meets us in a way that we can actually rejoice in that. But almost oppositely, something that also happens when we pray the Psalms is that we are lifted to God. So just like the Psalms come down and help me to meet with God in the midst of the grit and the grime of my daily life, also when I pray the Psalms, I'm lifted up out 
of my self-focused obsession with all things me, and I'm given a vision of who God is, of what his kingdom is like, and of what's true in the world that he created, that he ordered, and that he is sovereignly ruling over. I'm lifted up out of my pit of myopic self-focus, and all of a sudden, there are times in praying the Psalms when the stuff going on in my life doesn't even matter so much anymore because I'm in touch with what's going on in heaven. And that becomes the thing that matters most. And that is where joy abounds in our lives. When we're lifted up to a place of heavenly perspective and can see God and see as God sees. And it's at that point that we begin to, as Willard said so simply, to know God and to understand life from his perspective. And this is so important because, as Guile reminded us a few weeks ago, in the words of C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. And when we get to the next phase of our teaching about asking, Jesus taught us to ask, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're not going to be very good at bringing heaven to earth if we're not in touch with heaven and with what heaven is like. And heaven is a joyful place. And the serious business that we've been given is to see that joy, that joyful reality manifested here. Dallas Willard said that one of the most striking features of Jesus' personality was his joyfulness. And he said that, that his, uh, he possessed a steady happiness that wasn't ruled out by his experience of sorrow and even grief. How many of you want to live a life marked by a steady happiness in the Lord that can't be ruled out by your experience of suffering and sorrow and grief? It doesn't mean we put on a, a smile and say, praise the Lord, and act like we're not living in a difficult place and a difficult time. But God offers us a gift of steady happiness and joy and rejoicing that goes beyond that. And that's a miracle. When we pray the Psalms, God comes down to us and meets us where we are and then lifts us up to him to meet him where he's at. And this is so important. Because in the midst of this dark and broken world, we have been called to be God's joyful change agents, to bring heaven to earth. In other words, if the things going on around us are the only thing that's real, then rejoicing makes no sense at all. There's no point in rejoicing. But if the kingdom of God is our chief reality, rejoicing is the only thing that makes sense. Does that make sense? Rejoicing is the only thing that makes sense if this whole kingdom of God thing is true, if it's real. So how do we get started? Those are nice, poetic ideas, but it's not going to feel that nice and poetic even for me when I sit down alone hoping the kids don't interrupt my prayer time in the morning and open up the Psalms and wonder how to pray, how to get into it. How do we get started? I just want to say a couple of things. First, we just do it. It is one of the disciplines that 
on one level, we need the least instruction in because it is there as an instruction. That's the point. The Psalms teach us to pray as we just open up to them, pick one, and just start saying it out loud to the Lord. And there are a lot of resources that can help us to develop more facility in praying the Psalms, help us to understand what we're doing, help us to understand why some of the prayers are in there that don't make sense to us, help us to understand why God would want us to pray horrible things about our enemies. Um, And so we have developed, uh, with, with the help of Zach Ripley, our wonderful children's ministry director, we've developed a resource page on our website bctulsa.com slash project slash praying the Psalms uh, slash. And uh, we've just put together some resources, some uh, a couple recommended books, some articles and some handouts. Um, what else? There's even some music and some videos that can help us to develop facility in this. But the first thing we do that we don't need any more resources or instruction in is just open to the book of Psalms and start incorporating praying them into our lives as a part of our lives of prayer. And one helpful resource that's on there that I want to recommend to you is this app. If you're an iPhone user, I don't know if it's available for Android. It might be, but it's just called Five Psalms. And what they've done is taken this idea of praying five psalms a day and broken the entire book of Psalms up over 30 days. If you pray five psalms a day, you will pray through the entire book of Psalms every month. And what you can do if you download this app is you can use it either, you can use it in one of two ways. You can use it either to pray five psalms a day, so you just shoot, maybe like set a timer on your phone for five different points of the day, and maybe, you know, one right when you wake up, one before you go to bed, one while you're eating lunch, and then the other two kind of peppered in, and you just pray them. And it might sound rote and, and not very exciting, but there's something about just washing yourself in those words and letting those words come out of your mouth repeatedly throughout the day. But another thing you can do if you don't feel like you want to pray five psalms a day is you can just use that app, that tool, to just scan those five psalms at the beginning of the day and just choose one. Choose one of them. Either the one that based on the title or a few ideas in it seems like it kind of most resonates with where you're at right now and the things you want to pray, or you can just choose the shortest one and you don't have to tell any of us. But just choose one. Just choose one psalm and just say, I'm just going to pray this in the morning, and as it comes to mind throughout the day, I'm going to pull out my phone again and just look at it and just pray those words again. I'm just going to think about those words today, and then I'm just going to pray it again before I go tonight. It'll, it'll take five minutes, five minutes of your time to do that. It'll probably take a total of ten, maybe, yeah, about ten minutes if you want to actually pray all five psalms in one day. But this is just a simple thing we can do to just start on this journey of praying the psalms together. And next week, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more about different ways you can engage the psalms and different aspects of it. That'll be more engaging. But we don't need any more information to just start doing it because Jesus is our present teacher and he wants to meet us as we try it. Does that sound good? All right, and last thing, Cindy already said this in the announcements, but I want to encourage you to go to bctulsa.com slash share and... If you are trying this discipline, we want to hear about it. Not just if you're doing it and some kind of crazy miracle happens, though we definitely want to hear about it if that happens, but also if you try it and you think it stinks. Seriously. 
We just want to hear from each other as we're trying this stuff out. As we are going through this series of learning how to practice together the practices of Jesus, we need to hear from each other. We need to hear the good and the bad and the ugly of how it's going, what seems to work, what seems to not, what we're trying, different, different experiences. Your experiences with Jesus through praying the Psalms are going to be different than mine. Some of them might be similar, and we need to hear about it. We need to be spurred on and encouraged with one another. And so as you are practicing praying the Psalms this week, I would like to encourage you, even if you think you have nothing to share, to just get on there real quick and write a few sentences about your experience of praying the Psalms this week. Is that okay? All right. If you would stand with me this morning, what I would like to do to close is pray a psalm. Saw that coming. And what I did is I got on the Five Psalms app, and I found the shortest one, and the one that's got the most chill vibe, because I know you're the early service. I'm just kidding. It's the same for the second service, too. And I'd like us to just say it out loud together. And then what I want to encourage you to do is just continue to meditate on these words throughout the day. Find it on the Five Psalms app or on your version or Bible Gateway app or in your paper Bible. You can still use that if you want to. I give you permission and just spend some time coming back to these words throughout the day and saying them to God. You don't have to stir any kind of feelings up. You just say them to God and say, Jesus, pray this through me. Pray this with me. Pray this for me. And then we just get to stand and watch what God does. So let's pray this together. This is Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I calm quiet in my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child with my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week praying the Psalms. Don't forget to tell us about your experience, okay? All right. Love you. Bless you.